Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. We receive quite a few, and I do mean that. We, we receive quite a few forum responses from wives who are married to angry husbands. And almost always they talk about the effect of angry husbands that, that the angry husband has on their children. And they are, they are rightfully concerned and they are worried and they are seeking advice. This may be one of the most common forms of anger and harshness that we receive in this ministry. It's us. It's, it's dad's. And so I want to talk about that in this podcast. I've written a lot on anger. If you want to read my podcast on anger, you are welcome to do that. I've written on the angry dad. I've written on other aspects of this idea of anger, including righteous anger. And what is that? In this podcast, I want to take a very narrow, I want to walk down a narrow line, and I want to talk specifically about how unkind dads tempt their children to be afraid of God. This is a thing. You can trace a poor relationship with God to a child's relationship with their dad. And let me make a big caveat here. Though a bad dad is never the ultimate cause of a person's problems, there is a connection between any father and God the Father. And so for those of you moms who are listening to this, I want, I want you to hear my caveat. A bad dad is never the ultimate cause of a person's problems. Sometimes I say it, to, I say it this way to overworried moms. I say this, I was in jail when I was 15 years old. And what I mean by that statement is that God can redeem anybody And so you don't want to veer off into the ditch of hopelessness and despair as you think about the uh, dysfunction or whatever's going on in your home. You don't want to be a legalist about it, uh, thinking that if my husband were to change and he were no longer angry, that my child would be okay. Well, that's legalism. If your child is regenerated by the power of God, it will be the grace of God that opens that door If any of us recover from whatever the dysfunction that has happened in our lives, it will be because of the grace of God. And so not only do I want to, I want over-worried mothers not to be legalist. I want them to hear what I am saying. No bad dad is ever the ultimate cause of a person's problems, but I also want the children to hear this as well. As a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, I blamed my dad mostly because of how my life was turning out. And it was only after regeneration that God began to work in my heart and he helped me to see my fallacious way of looking at that matter. No, I was making choices. I, I was angry. My dad never caused my angry uh, anger. My dad may have revealed it. When the heat comes in your life, it will reveal whatever's in your heart. You will either harden because you're proud or you will soften because you are humble. The heat is an instrument of righteousness in God's hands that he uses to reveal to us who we really are. And so you could turn it around and say that my awful dad was an instrument of righteousness in God's hands that revealed to me who I really was before him 
And after I seemingly exhausted all the self-help books and other strategies that I implemented through my self-sufficiency to make myself better, I finally made my way to the cross as a 25-year-old punk kid who thought he knew everything, humbled myself before the Lord, and he regenerated me, and that made all the difference. So, with all of that, when I talk about this idea, and this is the title of the podcast and the article on the website, but when I talk about this idea of unkind dads, here's the title, tempt children to be afraid of God, I want to make sure that you incorporate the, the footnotes that I have just given you. Overworried mom or justifying teenager who justifies your anger. Now for you dads who get angry, I have no expectation that you will stop being angry completely for the rest of your life and you will never have anger in your life. And so you want to distinguish a few things. One, between episodic anger, which all of us have, including moms and everybody else, and then you have a pattern of anger. What I'm talking about here in this podcast is a pattern of anger. The dad who has no desire to walk out repentance, the dad who has no desire to change, that is the kind of dad that I'm talking about in this podcast. Dad, if you get angry episodically, well, I'm probably not talking about you because you're like every other human in the world. You get frustrated, you become impatient, you become weary of whatever, and you say things that are unkind or harsh. Those are all forms of anger. Now for you, I have two things to say to you. One, you need to repent. And when I talk about repentance, you need to repent at the moment, meaning that when you get angry, whomever you are angry at, you need to ask for repentance, or you need to ask for forgiveness, and you need to clean up that mess at the moment. That is momentary repentance, or at the moment repentance. Clean up your messes immediately. Do not let it go on. And then there is ongoing repentance. This is your continual fight to mitigate and mortify the anger that is in your heart so that these episodes will become farther and farther apart. They won't happen as often, and, and by the grace of God, they will never develop into a pattern. And so for you people, dads and others who get angry episodically, you need to have two forms of repentance. One, repent at the moment. Clean it up. Clean up your mess. Iron the wrinkle out of it at the time that it happens. And then the second type of repentance is work hard so that those episodes can be farther and farther apart. But I'm talking about the angry dad who doesn't clean up his mess at the moment and has no strategy in place for long-term repentance. is a pattern of anger, and you are the specific person that I'm talking to. And as the title of this podcast suggests, unkind dads tempt children to be afraid of God. Let me share with you a, a real illustration. It happened to me her name's not Mabel, but we will call her Mabel. I can see it as clearly today as it as I, as as when it happened twenty years ago. Mabel was sitting in my office crying. 
I asked her why she was crying. She said it was because she was looking at my Bible on the desk, on my desk. That was perplexing. So I asked, when you look at my Bible, you cry. Why is that? She said, you don't understand. When I look at your Bible, I think about God. When I think about God, I reflect on God the Father. When I think about God being a father, I reflect on my father. And when I think about my dad, I began to to cry. He was a mean and cruel man. He used to beat me for the fun of it. He would do many horrible things to me. That is why I am crying. Mabel had a fear of the Lord. And what I want to talk about primarily in this podcast is this idea of how you relate to God the Father. The term that I'm going to use as I talk about that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a beautiful term that that communicates the fullness of, of who God is and how we should relate to Him. But you can imagine somebody as broken as Mabel was. If I were to say the term fear of the Lord to her, based on her interpretation of of who God the Father is, that will, that will not make her feel good in any way. You could say Mabel had a fear of the Lord, but it was a poor interpretation. Her thoughts about God came from her personal experience with a cruel man, not from her understanding of God the Father. And that's a vital key here. You see, the father is the first father in a child's life, the big person in the room, the most dominating person in the room for a long period of time. Before they can think about God, know God, have opinions about God the Father, they already think about, know, and have opinions about the father standing in the middle of the room. And so her personal experience was with a cruel man. Her experience was not from her understanding of God the Father. And because of her wrong opinion about God, guess what? She did not have a pleasant experience with the Lord, and that is why she was crying. Your understanding of God determines the kind of experience you will have with Him. It is so important for you to think about that. Reflect upon that sentence just for a moment. Even those of you where this podcast doesn't apply, think about your understanding of God. And whatever that is, it will determine the kind of experience you'll have with Him. If your disappointments are the benchmark for what you believe to be right about God and His Word, you may have a complicated relationship with God. Experience over truth. That's what I'm talking about. What Mabel did is she mapped her experience over the truth of God's Word, and we can do that so easily. Our experiences are real. They're up close. They are personal. They're powerful, and they are shaping. I call them experiential shaping influences, where our experiences shape us into how we think and respond to others. And what we are tempted to do is to map these powerful shaping, experiential shaping influences over the truth about God. The experiential method says, quote, "...my personal experience is how I interpret God." 
which gives me an understanding of God that leads to my experience with Him. You'll hear teenagers talk about this often. The disappointed teenagers, the angry teenagers. Why did God allow this? What they're talking about is their experience. It's a legitimate question, and it is a question that you want to interact with. But do you also hear the implication of the question? They are experiential in their understanding of God. Their experience is the driving force, the main thing. It is what gives them their interpretive grid. And if your experience gives you the filter through which you see God, well, it's going to, it's going to affect how you relate to Him, whether you're able to untangle whatever is going on inside of you and how you relate to others. The biblical method is different from the experiential method. The biblical method says God's Word gives me my interpretation of God, which leads to my understanding and experience with Him. You can think about it like this. You have two filters, like two windows that you're looking through. Through one window, what you have laid over it is your experience, and so you look through your experience, and that gives you your interpretation of everything that you see on the other side of the window. And then the other window, it can be laid over with God's Word. So you're looking through God's Word, and that gives you your interpretation and understanding of everything that you see on the other side of that window. Which brings us to the most important question in the podcast, who is God to you? When you think about God and you, what are your thoughts How does God view you? That may be another way to ask the question. So how do you think about God? How do you think God views you? When I asked Mabel that question, well, you already heard. She knew God didn't like her. She knew that God was a conditional God based on her behavior, and she also knew that God was very erratic. He would beat her up at any time. She was an experiential Christian as she mapped her experiential shaping influences over her life. These are good questions to ask yourself when thinking about what the fear of God means. You see, Mabel was afraid of God. Why? Because she did not understand Him. Perhaps you don't have the correct working definition of the fear of God. Perhaps this idea, this term, is more of an abstract term rather than a practical reality. Perhaps, from your perspective, it's a term for smart people to understand, and you're not one of the smart people. I used to think that, too. But let me, let me make this statement. Did you know that even though you might not have a clear understanding of the fear of God, you do have a functioning experience with God based on your improper definition of the fear of God? It's like saying, I don't believe the Bible or I don't believe in God, but you have an experience with him. The devils believe in God and tremble. They don't like God. They resist God, but they have an experience with him. It's unfortunate that our language doesn't always convey the contours needed to understand the Bible correctly. The term fear of God is one of those terms that it suffers from language limitations If you mix language limitations to bad experiences and allow those two things to become how you view God, there is only one outcome. 
you will not accurately know and experience the true and living God. Mabel is not a minority report when it comes to an understanding of the fear of God or a lack of understanding of the fear of God. When many Christians think about the fear of God, I suspect their knowledge of that term is faulty. But more than flawed, some of them upload the term with something along the lines of being afraid of God. Have you ever thought that? Many people have. I imagine if you just go and ask the random person, what does the fear of God mean? Many of them will upload it with that idea of being afraid of God. Unfortunately, that is an improper understanding of this beautiful term, the fear of the Lord. I want to read two quotes from you, one from R.C. Sproul, who gives us some thoughts on the fear of the Lord, and then secondly, from C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain. I'll read these quotes and let you enjoy them. R.C. Sproul's coming from Proverbs 1-7, where it talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He says this, The fear of the Lord, described in Proverbs 1-7, is the fear of a converted person, a reverent love that understands God's grace toward the sinner who trusts Christ and who wants to do what is pleasing to the Lord. This kind of fear recognizes the Lord's character and His holy love. That is R.C. Sproul talking about the fear of the Lord. And then I have a, a quote that's a little bit longer from C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem with Pain, or The Problem of Pain, it goes like this. The Lord is present. He's right here. He's present. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate. Nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guest. But the consuming fire himself. The love that made the world's persistent as the artist love for his work, provident. Provident means timely preparation for the future. God is provident and venerable. Venerable speaks of someone who has lots of respect. C.S. Lewis says he's persistent as the artist's love for his work, provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, inexorable, exacting as love between the sexes. How this should be, I do not know. It surpasses reason to explain why any creatures, not to say creatures such as we, should have a value so prodigious in their creator's eyes. These two quotes are here in the article, one from R.C. Sproul and the other one from C.S. Lewis. In the article, Unkind Dads Tempt Children to Be Afraid of God. I'm working with this idea of being afraid of God, and I'm talking about the fear of the Lord, how we misconstrue what the fear of the Lord means because of the shaping influences of our angry dads. There are two aspects to the fear of God. One is the justice of God. The other is the love of God. Let me talk about this. To understand the fear of God, you must go back to the Garden of Eden where Adam experienced it. After the fall of Adam, two things needed to happen to him for him to be right with God. There was sin 
And so there was a demand for justice. So part of what it means to fear the Lord is to understand the justice of God. There was sin, Adam's sin, and God needed to mete out justice. But number two, someone needed to pay for the sin. And this is where we encounter the holy love of God. There is a demand for justice because of sin. There is a demand for love. God is a holy, loving God who gives us the answer to our sin. He so loved the world that he gave us his son. And so we see both the justice of God and the love of God folded into this idea of the fear of the Lord. Adam's initial response was to run away from God because he knew there was a need for justice for what he did. He was aware that someone had to pay for his actions. Adam sinned, thinking he had to pay for his sin, which is correct, or it was correct. What did he do? He ran and hid. He was afraid of the justice of God. In a sense, Adam had a fear of God. The problem was how his fear of God was not a complete understanding of what that term means. Adam ran and hid because he knew there must be punishment. There must be justice meted out for what he did. Adam was not delusional. Adam did what you and I would do. He was terrified. He knew God. He believed what God said. He knew he could not escape the wrath to come. God was to be feared. If God's wrath were all we knew about God, the complete definition of the fear of God would be strictly along the lines of horror, terror, dread. You hear these things in Mabel's story. You see, Mabel saw God this way because it was her only experience with a father figure. She only saw horror, terror, dread. She had a half view, an incomplete view of the fear of God because she didn't know anything about God's holy love. It was never modeled for her by her father. It made complete sense to me how she felt terror at the thought of having a relationship with any father, especially God the Father. Adopted kids who had similar interpretations as Mabel, though they never had an experience with their bio dads, they can be like this. They are similarly tempted to live with a fear of being rejected by God the Father because they understand the painful rejection of their biological fathers. The role of an adoptive father is essential. The new dad of this adoptive child has an incredible opportunity to redefine what a redemptive father is like while pointing the child to their ultimate redemption in God the Father. The same goes for children who have passive dads. I realize that the main thrust of this podcast is about angry dads, but now I'm talking about adoptive fathers. I'm talking about passive dads too. You see, in one sense, the stories are the same. Unkind dads, harsh, cruel, distant dads, passive dads, unloving fathers. They have a role in shaping the definition and conclusions kids come to regarding the fear of God. You see, a passive dad, an inactive dad, a distant dad is communicating a message that says, I don't love you. God is not like that at all. If all, of these kid, if all of these kids know is a punishing father, 
whether through unkindness, harshness, cruelty, distance, passivity, they will not be able to have a good and biblical view of God the Father. A child who can only think in the sin, punishment, justice, construct, will have a hard time relating to God. Fortunately, Adam's experience with God did not end with his fearful understanding of God's holy justice. Adam knew he had sinned, and he knew God would keep his word. There was hell to pay. God is holy, and he must punish sin. There is no escaping this truth. No sin will go unpunished. Adam knew it, and because he knew this, he was living in the dread and the fear of the consequences of his sin. But that's only half of the sandwich, the justice of God. A full and complete understanding of the fear of the Lord also means the holy love of God. God is wholly just, and he's wholly in love. What Adam, and Mabel, by the way, was not calculating into the equation was how God, the holy judge, was going to punish Adam's sin. You see, because there was no gospel in Adam's frame of reference, the only thing that he could do was pay for his crimes against the divine. But Adam learned that his holy and just God was loving too. And that is the perfect balance of what the fear of the Lord means. Now, as dads, we need to enact both of those things. We need to be just and firm and stern and directive, but we also need to be loving and caring and patient and kind If you want to read this podcast, I want you to do that. The title of the podcast and the article on the website, Unkind Dads Tempt Children to Be Afraid of God. I have an infographic here that I would love for you to look at. It walks through this idea of the fear of man, and it explains it, and it would be a wonderful visual for you to use in your Sunday school class, in your leadership development class, in your counseling class. It would also be excellent to use as a homework uh, or as an illustration during a counseling session or someone that you are discipling. And then I have inserted one of our more popular videos called The Important Role of Fathers. This is about a 10-minute video. I will not explain it here. It is self-explanatory, but I would love for you to watch this video. It's embedded in this article here, The Important Role of Fathers. It will be quite instructive. But I want to finish with a call to action. I have four, four question sets for you, and I would love for you to take this article and print it off and then write out these questions. For bonus points, it would be fantastic if you have a group of two or three people, maybe a small group of friends in your church where you can gather and have this conversation, especially you men. It would be wonderful if your men's group that meets on Wednesday or whenever y'all, you all meet, that you talk about this article and you work through these questions. But here are my question sets. Number one, are you aware of God's holy justice when he thinks about your sin? 
Are you aware of God's holy justice when he thinks about your sin? It is imperative that you be aware of it and you be sobered by it. And thus my follow-up question is, how does this awareness affect you? Question number two, are you aware of God's holy love when he thinks about your sin? And then the follow-up is, how does this awareness affect you? What I'm trying to get at here is, do you have a healthy balance when it comes to the fear of God? Do you lean one way or the other? Do you put the accent mark on God's holy justice, thus you, you live a legalistic life, always trying to be obedient to please Him, or a fearful life, thinking the other shoe is going to drop at any moment, God is going to get me because He is a God of holy justice, and you, you're not really aware of God's holy love. Or you could put the accent on the other side. You're really aware of God's holy love. And so you kind of just play down obedience or justify a lot of your actions. It doesn't matter because God is a God of love. I know a lot of people that come out of fundamentalist backgrounds, legalistic backgrounds, think this way. They put the accent mark on love, and they don't walk that balanced life because they play down the justice of God because the only context they have for the justice of God is that he's a punitive God because that was their religious experience. I have two other question sets here in this call to action. We're at the end of the podcast, so I'll not share those with you, but you can read them. They're right here on our website. They're free to you. And so jump on our website, read all the questions that I have, reread this podcast. I have other articles inserted. And as always, if you want to chat about it, come to our website and let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.